Hello and welcome to Geek Sweat. We are the news, reviews and interviews podcast and today we are broadcasting live and direct from the Advocacy Academy. The Advocacy Academy is an activist youth movement of leaders fighting for justice and equality. They serve as the political home for grassroots youth organising and the catalyst for collective action. They exist in the heart of southwest London in Brixton. You can find them on the website www.theadvocacy.com Hello and welcome to another episode of Geek Sweat. You are now tuned in to the segment called MKH Cut and I am MKH and you're wondering what the hell is the MKH Cut? Well this is an opportunity for us in the Greek, well Greek? <laughs> the Geek Sweat Dome to come together and review films that are exclusively made or exclusively distributed by one of the streaming platforms we have in the UK, which is either Netflix, Amazon, uh, Apple TV, and... Britbox? Ugh, yeah, Brexit box. That is there <laughs> as well. Uh, do you like how I changed my voice there during the intro? Yeah, I'm good at throwing my voice. Anyway, joining me today is the marvellous King Dom. Hello. Hello. Thanks for you? having me. Uh, how are you? I am really well. I'm up for this. I'm not really up for this. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Yeah, we'll come back to that later. And right opposite King Dom, we have the unbreakable TJ. Howdy, hello, and hallelujah. I, I've got a question. When did we stop calling you Trevor and just refer to you as TJ? Is that has that ever been a thing? I don't think there was. I don't think there was an actual timeline. I think it just switched. I think I was trying to copy you. Oh, just get, by osmosis. I was trying to get that MKH money. Ah, just by osmosis. Okay, that's cool. How are you, by the way? Um, I'm not too bad. Um, doing quite well. Um, happy to be in this like new venue, uh, recording another session of the MKH Cut, and uh, getting back to a Sunday podcast with you guys again. Oh, very succinct, nice, um, and and gentle, and kind words right there. But anyway, we're not here for kind and gentle words. We're here to discuss <sighs> the Korean film, yeah, The Eighth Night. Mm. Which is written and directed by Kim Tae-yong. Well done on that pronunciation. Um, it's interesting. So like, I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia feed and it, it has in brackets, it's a Korean film. Yeah. Uh, actually, no, actually, uh, my mistake. I didn't read the rest of it. The Eighth Night is a 2021 South Korean mystery thriller. I thought it was a horror yeah, but it's I've been I, I stand corrected. It's a it's a actually Dom's a got mystery a good, thriller. Yes, I think Dom's got a good answer is because I think there was an earlier episode where we were distinguishing the difference between a horror and a thriller, and I think Dom had a really good answer. Isn't that, for isn't this. that Cody's realm? But go yeah. on, King Dom, <laughs> tell us what's the difference. I think I was talking about the different types of horror, so yeah. I guess that's kind of adjacent to this conversation. Yeah. But there are different types of horror. There's not one mm. type of horror. Sure. So, for example, there's like gross-out horror, which is like blood and guts. That would be and like Saw. That would be like Saw. Yeah. And then there's suspense, where you know something is going to happen. So there's a kind of dread. So there's kind of dread horror. Okay, so which, that would be like uh, What Lies Beneath. Perhaps. Something like that, yeah. And then there's like... Isn't that Clover, Cloverfield as well? Would that be yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. Cool, cool. Then there's uncanny horror, where there's something that's like weird or unnatural. Yeah. Like Eraserhead, something like mm. that. David Lynch is very good at uncanny horror. Sure, sure, sure. 
where do zombies, vampires, and werewolves fit into that? They're more. Gore, well, they're kind of on the timeline mixture of everything, yeah. ideally, because it's like there's not one type of comedy. As you know, there are many different ways that you can get a laugh. Mm. So there are also many ways you can be scary. So ideally, a good horror film will have a mixture of suspense, uncanny, maybe some gross out. It's like a mixture. It's not just one thing in a successful horror film. Mm. And would mystery thriller come under the guise of horror, do you think? I think it could. I mean, especially if it's like mm. sus- a suspense film, but with very like horrific elements. So something like Seven, for example, that's a thriller, but it's almost pushing into horror territory. Yeah, because of the violence, yeah. And speaking of Saw, because people have described that more as torture porn, is that mm. a, a a segment of horror? Because in terms of goriness, I would basically put <clears throat> Halloween. Yeah. With um, Mike the, Myers, the new Halloweens, like seventies and eighties, or the so the old Halloween seventies and eighties, or the new ones from the two thousands. Well, it's, it's funny you say that. I, I thought the one from the seventies eighties, yeah, um, is the natural sequel to what's happening now because yeah. I think the one where Jamie Lee Curtis came back kind of redconned all of the other Halloweens. He had Halloween H yeah. two and all that other bollocks, sure. and basically said, yeah, it it's just this film. And the one that was previous when I was a young, supple young lady. Sure. Right. And plus the sequel that's coming out this Halloween as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, think... there are so many timelines now. There were the two remakes directed by Rob Zombie, which yeah. were absolutely terrible. Yeah. Mm. Really, really bad on mm. every level. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, for the listeners out there... In case you're wondering why we're speaking so much about different uh, genres of horrors, because we don't want to speak about this film, because this film is absolutely <laughs> shite. <laughs> but with that being said, we are going to do our duty and actually delve into what a mess this film is, was, and forever will be going yeah. forward. Um, first of all, does anyone want to... Ask me why I picked this film. Well, I, I guess, first of all, we should say right now, South Korea is probably the most exciting country in the world for film and TV. Yeah. And yet, somehow, you have found this really stunningly shit film. So we've got to say, well done for that. And can I just go through just like a short roster of South Korean films before we get into this? We have Parasite, which is the Oscar-winning film. Uh, by so. By Yung Hong, I think his name is. Okja, which was another outing by Netflix, which featured... Um, uh, Tilda Swinton, A Train to Busan, which is probably one of the most eloquent um, trapped in a train uh, zombie films ever to grace our screens. And also Old Boy, which is uh, one of my classic favourites. So tell us. And a massive game changer. And not to forget the current Netflix number one TV series, Squid Game. Yeah. So with that in mind, and uh, we could mention things like Handmaiden, I Saw the Devil and even The Interview, which is technically a Korean film with James Franco and Seth Rogen. Why did you make us watch The Eighth Night? So you've already beat me to the punch, basically. I was on a uh, a Korean fever trip or what (laughs) would have been described in the olden days, yellow fever trip. (laughs) Let's not go down that route. But yeah, I thought everything has basically uh, shone a a spotlight on... uh, 
Korea, more uh, specifically South Korea, in terms of what has already been mentioned. We have obviously Parasite, which is great. Uh, you also have Snowpiercer, which has a Korean director attached to it, sure. starring Chris Evans. Uh, and we are in the, the eye of the storm, which is um, Squid Games. Yeah. So I thought, <laughs> how bad could it be? Yeah. And not in my worst nightmares did I imagine how bad... Like, was it a tasty trailer that kind of drew you in and got wet your appetite for this film? No, I didn't even see a trailer for this. Because okay. I'm sure if I saw a trailer for it, I still would have picked it. <laughs> <laughs> because they would have picked the best bits, to yeah. be honest. Mm. Um, but yeah, so essentially, so where, where's the synopsis of this fucking shit show of a film? There's not even a synopsis. No, I've film. got a synopsis. Go, on, go, go for it. I'm DB. Yeah. With prayer beads in one hand and an axe in the other, a monk hunts down a millennia old spirit that's possessing humans and unleashing hell on earth. Hmm. See, on the, on the face of it, going by that, you feel, okay, we're onto something here. Yeah. Right. You know, that could, it's got potential. Yeah, it's got potential. Like, uh, K- Koreans are known for being very competent writers and competent directors. And I, I'm afraid to say that the, the director and the um, writer on this, who happens to be the same people, same yeah, person. One of them should have been fired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The same person, Kim, lovely yeah. Kim. Um, I don't know what, uh, if Kim's a, a man or woman. Sorry, Kim. Um, you don't have a, a Wikipedia page for some reason, which is kind of disrespectful because all of the people starring in it do. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what Kim actually has done previously to this or... Kim is getting a free ride off of this um, tidal wave, and see what which is um, South Korean fascination by the world. But I thought, okay, competent uh, writer, competent director who happened to be the same person. But yeah, as Dom's already said, you should have been fired from one of those posts because you are great at, at presenting visuals. You, the, the film looks stunning. It is. It's a good looking yeah, film. Good looking film. The, uh, uh, what's it called? The, Cinematography. Cinematography looks fantastic. The visual effects are great. But, Kim, you cannot write for shit. I'm sorry. I I have to be this blunt with you. But put down the pen. (laughs) Leave it to someone else and stick to whatever you're filming. Okay? Um, Shall we try and break down the story? Sorry. We're going to spoil this because we don't want you to make... Our mistake and watch this. Okay, I mean, <laughs> considering like the backstory of the film is told in not one but two animated backstories, you think it would be clearer than it is? Because it starts off with an animation and a voiceover to tell you what the backstory is, then there's a little bit of story, and then the junior monk says to the older monk, "What's the story?" And you get almost the same thing all over <laughs> again, and it still doesn't make any sense the second time. Do you think at that point uh, the writer was trying to convince them, convince themselves of the story? I don't think I'm getting it. <laughs> so, so hang on, I've got a red eye and a black eye, and the two eyes can't meet, but the eyes can travel through seven people. What the fuck? <laughs> Actually, I will say that was some of the most scary shit I saw was when the the, the extra eye used to open on was opening on people's faces. That that kind of like. Yeah, made me like my stomach turn, which is a sign. Oh, of it's a art. great special effect. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, which is that God. is like gross out horror. That is yeah. a like instant visual punch. Yeah, I but there's like, no context to make that effective over the course of a whole film. Absolutely not. And um, okay, so could you, even though we 
you've mentioned the story was told twice. Could you summarize the story? From what? Because I've watched the film twice and I still can't summarize the story. All I know is that it ends up in the woods and people are flying about. Well, like, I mean, I'm in... struggling with the backstory, <laughs> let alone like the chain of events. Yeah. But I'll do, I'm gonna have a go. Um, I mean, firstly, I want to say it was a hard watch. It's a tough assignment, and it's all because of the directions of the plot. Um, I think the plot was it's a strange discovery in the desert uh, that brings about the fall in reputation of a well-known archaeologist. Now, if you'd heard me say that 30 years ago, you'd probably be thinking it's an Indiana Jones film, but it's not. And then there's a priest who is at a monastery with a young disciple who was sworn to a vow of silence until one fateful day. And I suppose um, in the name of the rose with Sean Connery is probably what you'd be thinking if I said that, but it's not. And then it takes like a shamed and fallen Buddhist monk or so it seems, to come out of semi-retirement to enact his part in a ritual to stop Armageddon, which can be like any one of like a number of Nicolas Cage films that have come out in the last decade, but it's not. And so it's kind of this weird amalgamation of um, suggestion, ritual, and this kind of um, detective chasing a... It's like an investigation in how to chase a demon spirit across Korea, which um, doesn't quite make sense because the human beings know that the demon spirit can engage in or take over any human body at any given time. So there's a wild amount of, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, not luck, let's say, in being able to find a spirit when it's in its host at any given time. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot of what the fuckery around the plot, I think. Do we know why the the monster exists? Was that was that mentioned? The mo- okay, so the monster, as I understood it, is um is it was part of a Buddhist monk, and I uh, sorry, a part of a Buddha, I think it was, and or a Shiva, I think it was, and I think the idea was the two eyeballs, for some unknown reason, end up dropping out of the eyes, and they try to go and do their own thing, which is kind of. Um, uh, a naughty thing to do. Apparently one of the eyes is supposed to represent agony and anxiety and the other one is supposed to re- represent fear and aggression. And if the two of them meet and collide together outside of the the God figure it came from, it then will wreak hell on earth. So to teach each eyeball a lesson, as you do, you have to keep them separate and put them on different sides of the same country. Okay, uh, that makes a bit more sense. How... <laughs> How how would we fix this film? <laughs> what what would need to happen for this film to be even half watchable? Do, do we need to take out some of the, the the animation? Do we need to? Well, there's definitely a lot of repetition because yeah, not just the two lots of repetition. Yeah. I mean, this guy, the young monk, his mentor dies, and then you know, a couple of scenes later, he's got a new mentor who's older than him. I mean, what's up with yeah. that? What's the point of introducing the plot development of his mentor dying if he's just going to have another father figure mm, for the yeah. remainder of the film? Actually, I want to add to that because there is an old man and the mentor motif going on, and just to establish, they do it four times. Um, there's the priest and the disciple and then the monk who abandoned his duties and came back into the fold and the disciple, then the detective and a death detective who we later finds out has got mental health issues. And then there's the female host and the female host, madam, who's looking after this building because um, 
later we find out that she's not even a real woman, she's a ghost. Plot twist. Spoiler alert. Sixth Sense. And spoiler alert, yeah. <laughs> Although, not the Sixth Sense if you hadn't seen it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think I the first say? 10 minutes didn't need to happen. I it think, didn't. I think the story potentially should have started from when the demon rises to the surface. I think that would have been an option. Or we just follow only the um, the archaeologist who lost his reputation and let him come into contact with the monk. Because he doesn't really feature after that premise, yeah. after that preamble. But also, the does the old monk need to be in there at all? Because I saw him, and then I saw him like coughing into his tissue, and I thought, like, uh-oh, this guy's got plotitis. <laughs> <laughs> so th- this film had a running time of uh, 115 minutes. Yeah. We could have gone down to a lean 90 minutes. Yeah. Mm. If that, actually. And in terms of the actors in it do you think they did a good performance because i okay so the guy who played played the protective who who, protector (laughs) no the the homicide detective i thought he came across a bit over over the top in terms of his reaction to uh, when he went to the crime scene in the hotel he he seemed to be having trouble getting through the tape which you think is (laughs) like the minimum requirement of the job and then he was shouting at the guy who was already there which was kind of actually i thought it was weird that the police had supposedly secured the perimeter and it took the detective like 12 seconds to say no you've put the tape around the wrong space (laughs) like there's another 20 feet of um evidence and crime scene you need to put the sellotape around you know so and then he like tried to put the foot protector on his head yeah Yeah. like what, what was that and then when he goes into, comedy? and when he goes into the crime scene, it's like, yeah, we're gonna look at the dead bodies in the room. Okay, there's this massive dead body in the front room or the dining room area it was. And he says, Oh, has anyone noticed this like squatting corpse that's been burnt <laughs> to a crisp behind a cupboard in the corner, you know? Fucking worst detective department in <laughs> South Korea. Um so, and it is worse when you've got one of the, um, the the captain or the superintendent encouraging one of the detectives to sack one of his co-workers as well. But what did you think of the active performances? Oof. Um, I would say um, the character who you, who you said who's the detective, he, he plays Kim Hote, who's the actor Park Hae-joon. Um, he was on some kind of ego trip or the char- he played the character that had some kind of ego trip. The, the character that I related to most... Um, I think it was the young guy who played um, uh, Dong Jin, who was the young boy who had to uh, commit to the vow of silence. This would be King Dong Young. Yeah. And he broke the vow of silence in such a weird, not comedic way. I nearly didn't forgive him for that, but he seemed to be the only sensible character who was trying to do the right thing throughout and his actions made sense all the way through. It's, it's quite ironic you related to a person who took a vow of silence. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like What you. are you saying? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Don, Don, what, did you, self. <laughs> Don, Don what, what did you think of the, um, the performances of the actors? It wasn't the best acted film, by mm. which I mean I don't think it was the best directed film. Yeah. I think there were probably some competent actors who were encouraged to do very broad performances. Yeah. Um, like Kim Dong Young, who's probably a fairly decent actor. He was okay as the young novice, but I think there were like shades of subtlety that he wasn't told to do. Mm. I think everyone was told to play it big. Yeah. Play it very broad. Yeah. 
Except for the people who are possessed by the demon, because that just that was just some horrible quite uh, possession yeah. spirits action. I mean, I know there's been a cavalcade of films that have come out from uh, Southeast Asia where we've seen uh, human beings possessed by spirits before, but I think some what the director chose, and I know maybe say, okay, you have to act in this way because there's going to be an eyeball popping out your cheek 20 seconds after the camera sees you. But I felt, I didn't feel intimidated by any of the the possessed um Well, even when humans. you saw the third eye? No, no. It just felt like, because I, I suppose... So um, it was a kind of gross special effect, but for you that was undermined by the performances. Yeah, because... If if um if you're talking about Armageddon, end of the world, um, carnage, hell, there was no kind of um, incident or moment where you kind of said human lives are at risk here because it felt like the possessed demon wanted to get into dialogue with the characters it was facing mm. rather than murder it and then move on to the next one. It, it was it was almost like an elaborate game of tag. <laughs> like you didn't feel like yeah, yeah. the South Korean population was at risk. It was yeah. just b- between these guys and these guys alone yeah. playing this game. Yeah, it didn't feel very end of the world. Like even I, though the guy with the beads did try to say, "Is there end of the like?" Can I say it was end of the world taking place on the back streets of Korea? Yeah, there exactly. was. I mean, I appreciate there's there might have been a COVID element to it, and there might have been a situation where budget restrictions. But this idea that the demon was like skulking away and could only attack and kill people in corners of um, vulnerable people in corners of the, uh, of a, of a back streets of an, a Korean city. I just thought it just felt unbelievable. It, funny enough, this whole film was made in 2019 and they even oh, went wow. to Kazakhstan to, to film some, yeah. some shots. And um, can I, before we move on, let me just speak about um, Kim Tae Yong. Um, this this is his first and only film, according to IMDb. But it, is there a Korean version of South Korean version of IMDb that we can check? Because there is a Korean IMDb, so I'll, I'll yeah, double. I'll double check that. that you, you say your your piece. This is absolutely <laughs> a travesty that this person yeah. could film something over the course of, I, I guess it's five months. So it's from May two thousand nineteen to September two thousand nineteen. Yeah. Write it, direct it, and it end up on Netflix. This is some mm. proper positive discrimination against Koreans. Like, there's no way this film would have made it onto um, Netflix before um, the COVID pandemic, or even before uh, Parasite won an Oscar, or even before um, Squid Game was a massive hit. Like, this is... Who... Wait, I need to know. I need to get to the bottom of this. I, I pray to God. I've got more credits on IMDb than this fucking person. Yeah. How the hell did they, in their first outing, their first outing get on Netflix? I I don't know. I mean, it feels like a film that was kind of held back. and that It was needed... held back. Now, I get it because it, it says it in there. Um, I think Kim's a man. I think Kim is the family name and his first I've name is... I've got Kim... Uh, Tay, I've got a Kim Tae Kiyun because I get the feeling yeah, Tae that Kyun, I think is his given name and okay. Kim is a surname. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, yeah. We're hunting for Kim Tae Yoon. It's KMDB. Okay, okay Tae is definitely a man. Um, and I'm going by this shot that I've uh, managed to get hold of from Netflix. And he seems like a, an older gentleman. Actually, With glasses. No, is it is it with glasses? Anyway, Kim, what connect co- connections do you have to the industry that you managed to get on Netflix? Because th- by any stretch of the imagination, this would be 
a, a B movie or C movie? If a C movie, it, you burn it onto a video cassette so no one ever has to see <laughs> it. Like this is, I'm I'm quite shocked. Why is no one else as I should be on Netflix then? By this, by this metric standard, you will get your time. Unless maybe uh, you have to wait eight nights and unless, then you get it. Uh, Ty, <laughs> unless Tyune comes from a very rich family and was able to fund this independently, that's the only way I could see this being yeah. realistic. That they've only got one credit. Yeah, I mean, I get the feeling that he's probably done some other projects, but they might have been short films that haven't come to pass. But, um, I mean, there is a website called Times of India where it says director Kim Tang reveals the meaning behind his up-and-coming supernatural thriller. <laughs> He's taken that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think when you look at that kind of title, I feel like it, it shows that there's complications in the film or there's complications to understand the film. And I, my impression of it was what folklore or what rules are we following? And I think, for me, my enjoyment stopped when I couldn't understand um, what he was thinking. I remember there was a 2008 film called The Chaser and the aesthetic of this film reminded me of that. And it was a standout kind of horror film about a, um, a detective chasing a serial killer. And there was a lot of dark nights, dark moments and chasing people in, in the rain and back streets of Korea sort of thing. But, and mystery being revealed. But I think the issue was the story was linear and it was going in one direction. And I think the moving back and forth, not understanding the demon's power, um, having the exposition of what the eyeballs meant as anxiety and anger, 20 minutes from the end of the film rather than 20 minutes into the film. Like, all, it felt like it was, the scenes were in a wrong order to kind of make it mm. a visual threat that you can um, invest in and feel like something's at stake here. Well, obviously, uh, this gentleman watched um, Pulp Fiction and took it way too seriously. He's going to muddle up fucking everything. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never get it, even if you speak <laughs> Korean. Were <laughs> uh, you going to come in there, Dom? Well, I have found another synopsis, and um, this isn't completely relevant, but this synopsis on IMDb was written by Claudio Carvalho from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. So well done, Claudio, for watching the film and understanding it. I think we should take a minute to salute you for your hard work. So here it is. Many centuries ago, Buddha defeated a demon and ripped out his red and black eyes, symbolizing anxiety and hatred, hiding them in caskets, one far east and the other far west. When an archaeologist finds the red eye in the desert, he is considered a charlatan by the media and falls in disgrace. But nine years later, he plots a scheme to reunite the eyes and awake the demon using six people who tried to commit suicide to carry the red eye, meet the virgin shaman and join to the black one. Now the only hope to save mankind is a former monk and guardian of the black eye that uses prayer beads in one hand and an axe in the other to find the virgin shaman and avoid darkness on earth. Yeah. It's nice. so simple when you put it like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's a shame it wasn't reflected on screen. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine the director reading that and going, that's what I was <laughs> going <Yeah>. for. <laughs> I mean, I think the big miss, like you said at the beginning, is the archaeologist is on some kind of power trip. And I think if we followed his story maybe a little bit more, particularly as he's the science guy who could give some of the exposition and some of the history behind what the demon is and what it means and what it can do, maybe we would have been more invested in mm. what the adventure was about to take place. Um, maybe, maybe. So um, this, 
Okay, let me ask you one question. Did anyone understand the scene that came in at uh, 30 minutes where the monk uh, who was... Um... Well, you're going to have to narrow it down there. Yeah. <laughs> How many seconds? <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll say the line. It goes, I see that there are countless souls on your back waiting to ascend. So apparently this um, monk that disowned his monastery um, was sat in a room and apparently he has all of these souls that he's supposed to send up to whatever is heaven or the next life but it was depicted as him just sitting in a dark room and a wall with like little cracks opening up his eyeballs i mean did that make any sense to you about what his power or skill was at the time no not really that's a no that's a no so i'm just going to turn the laptop so you guys can remind yourself of Oh, I remember the image. It yeah. was a quite memorable image. That's what I'm saying. It looks great, but who it, knows what the fuck is happening in that scene right now? And the thing is, that was um, a cutaway scene. That was like a that wasn't in real time. That was like a flat. That was like a flashback for as the um, the old priest yeah. was talking. Yeah, absolute clusterfuck. So this um, this film got sixty three percent. I can't believe it got that high. Yeah, of eight reviews. Uh, are positive with an average rating of 5.60 out of 10. Uh, however, <laughs> there was this lovely person called Sarah. Obviously, Sarah must have got a buttload of money. Maybe she won the original Squid Games. <laughs> <laughs> she wrote a review rating it 4.5 out of 5. <laughs> wow, what, what did she knock off 0.5 of a star for? <laughs> Maybe it wasn't long enough for her. And she said the screenplay is incredibly thoughtful. No, it's not. Like you, You're making us go around the houses here. <laughs> As and, and I do agree with this last bit. As it kept the audience guessing, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> ah, this is brilliant. Can, can, I, can I do something? I want to introduce a, a little context. So in the tradition of another mystery thriller, Saw, I want to play a game. So how would you improve this film by killing one character? So just executing whoever it's by the demon or by accident, which character would you kill to improve this film? Well, on screen. Or yeah, the... and continue the story to kind of try and make it make more sense. I'd get rid of at least three characters. Yeah? Who would you pick? Uh, I don't give a shit about the, the, uh, the detective. I think one of the old men didn't need to be in there. Yeah. And then... The, for Gail, what, what was her deal? She was, it turns out, and spoiler alert again, she was a ghost. So, exactly. So, so she was, there was two confusing things here about this. There were two young girls mm. who were in the bewitching, demonized, uh, about to be possessed process. One of them did get possessed, but it turns out it's because she was lost and isolated from her community because she was part of a suicide. She was part of a group of people who had previously tried to commit suicide, but now they were going to a meditation group to alleviate their symptoms. So now they were in a vulnerable community. They were a vulnerable community who were isolated. Whereas the other girl, everyone thought she was real. And it turns out she was a ghost. Well, only two people knew that. Okay. Well, my answer is there's too many characters to get rid of to fix this film. Dom, <laughs> who would you, one person, if you could save this film or make it better, at least marginally better. It would be only be marginally better. I think the detective, I would get yeah. rid of the detective. Yeah. yeah. Uh, TJ, who would you get rid of? Um, do you know what? It, it might be a double-hander. I might think of getting rid of the detective on the one side so that the younger detective who kind of suddenly knew about all the spiritual rituals can get his 
mainstay and kind of tell the story. And I would probably get rid of the monk who was being supported by the uh, the young disciple who had the vow of silence and let the young kid who had the, the vow of silence do the things that the monk was supposed right. to do. Well, he obviously had to strike out on his own after his... Um original mentor died yeah yeah it yeah. makes no sense at all for him to hook up with another mentor straight away yeah yeah there was there wasn't any room for, and he's the one that eventually deals the final death blow to yeah. the demon so it would have just made more sense if the, he was trying to learn or seek out the the real buddhist monk who was supposed to deal the death blow and through doing the research and investigation to find out who that was realize oh i now i know so much about it it's got to be me that does it because that would have made sense. Was I making it up, or did he have a permanent <laughs> scar on his head after the third eye had opened on it? Um, did he still have a scar? <laughs> like, 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 there were a few act actors who had scars on their faces, but I don't think that was makeup. I think that was just genuinely them. Um, really? No, I thought like he had. The f- anyway, never mind. I I thought I saw that, but it's one of those films where you can't be sure. Was what it you a delivery? Let's get to the end and see like if if you, okay. if he still has a scar on his head after where the third eye opened, and then after that, even though he. he oh yeah, yeah, we got this. Yeah. Um, so it turns out like when he was meeting the character. Sorry, when he was meeting the character in the forest where they were having the last battle. Um, yeah, he. He, the two of it, it turns out the young boy gets possessed and the magic eyeball from the face appears from the forehead as a third eye instead of the cheek. And then the possession went from the young disciple into the monk mental. Yeah, but after this, after he like, it goes into the old man. And yeah. like, um... He had a flashback because that's what the film needed. He needed another flashback about his life. With the yeah, young look, boy. see, that scar remains. Oh no, oh, it's disappearing. No, no, because he's healing. It's healing. It remains after this. Okay, you sure? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah it yeah. remains. Okay. It's kind of sick. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's all I wanted to point out. Yeah. So well done to the makeup artist. Yeah, as exactly. Well. Yeah, you did a but great I job. But I think it was a kind of. I think it's subtle, and maybe the camera didn't spend time on it. But I think it was supposed to be intentionally a crucifix scar more than a the wound. I don't know of the eyeball. I don't know. Um, okay. With that being said, I'm going to land this plane into the water. Um, <laughs> we're not getting out of this well, alive on the water <laughs> into the water we're crashing we're dying there um, uh, in a word I've been inflating my life jacket <laughs> <laughs> can we so before you do crash into the water and uh, send out the flare can we say something about the bloodletting I mean did it feel like a little bit unnecessary like some of the like I need to slip my arm or cut my finger and put it onto this emblem or symbol or or, or tool of God to kill mm. this demon like it felt it felt very unnecessary. I, I I felt like that was low on my list of things I didn't like. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that was that wasn't up there. I think hey, yeah. go at it. If you're gonna cut a hand, there is gonna be a lot of blood and shit like that. So that's that plays into the whole gore factor. Mm. Um, Dom, did you have any thoughts on? I mean, it's a horror film. There's nothing wrong with them yeah. like going for it in terms of gore. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the problem was the lack of coherence, the lack of flair, the lack yeah. of humor, all of that. <laughs> Lack of dialogue. Everything. <laughs> um, okay. In a word, yes or no, do we recommend people watch this? Uh, Dom? King Dom? Do you know, there's probably like a YouTube video where someone's done the whole film plot in five minutes. So have a look for that. Yeah, don't watch this. Uh, TJ, would you recommend people watch this? Uh, I would recommend, instead of The Eighth Night, do eight searches on Google for South Korean horror films. 
Oh, that's quite good. That's good. That's positive advice. Do yeah. that journey. See where that journey takes you. And, okay, actually, final question. Would this have been released in cinemas? It doesn't look like a cinema release film. This looks like the type of film where you go to like a blockbuster video store and then you just see it in the bargain bucket or just like sitting on the sh- sitting on the shelf and they just keep putting it in the wrong place. That's you were like. just you were just pegging that nineteens nineties. Okay, should I give you like one aesthetic? more? Like nineteen nineties. <laughs> I don't know if this is like nineties or late eighties. Yeah, they, there was one thing this film reminded me of right at the start. You know where the old monk dies? Yeah, it reminds me of Gremlins too, where the shop owner dies. Oh, because yeah. I think that's the first time I watched a film and I was aware that a character was dying because they were standing in the way of the plot. Yeah, yeah, and I was yeah. like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Gremlins was nineteen nineties, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gremlins 2 anyway. I think, was it 1990? I'll do Gremlins an Akash and check it out. First Gremlins, 1984. Second one, 1990. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah. yeah. 1990s yeah. theme continued. Aesthetics continues. Anyway, with that being said, don't go and watch this film. Fucking, I'd rather sacrifice my Netflix subscription than watch this film again. And I watched it twice. Yeah. All so I could entertain you people out there listening. Oh my goodness. Okay, with that being said, thank you, Kingdom. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you, TJ. I'm thanking you for making me watch this, but cheers. <laughs> <laughs> you hurt my left eyeball and my right eyeball, but thank you. <laughs> and thank you uh, for all those listening out there. You have been great. And um, yeah, I guess I've been MKH. This has been the MKH Cut. This has also been in the wider pantheon of things, Geek Sweat. And you'll be hearing from me soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>